Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk, with Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Get ready to focus on your intent to be the love, be the peace, through practical application. Here is your host, Rev. Jennifer Hadley. Bonjour, bonjour. Mm. Ah, we meet again, my old friend. (laughs) Yes, we meet again in the place of inspiration with A Course in Miracles. Aren't we blessed? I'm so grateful. My name is Jennifer Hadley. We're talking about A Course in Miracles, walking the talk, living the love, not just studying it, not just thinking about it, but a practical application of these A Course in Miracles teaching for our liberation, spiritual liberation. And the topic that was given to me this week is making way for miracles. Making way for miracles. Doesn't that sound delicious? I think so. And uh, we're, uh, so the last episode, which was entitled Training, Trading Pain for Happiness, was looking at Lesson 190. And what I got as I was finishing that podcast episode was there's more there's more for us to discover from lesson 190 and this topic of trading pain for happiness so here comes the topic making way for miracles still looking at lesson 190 and the choices that we make sometimes for pain and suffering when we could go the other way. So let's begin with a prayer. And so I place my hand on my heart and I am truly grateful, truly thankful to open ourselves to the power and the presence of love within us. We are grateful to recognize the fullness of divine inspiration and guidance. We are grateful to allow ourselves to fully fly high in the field of love. We're opening ourselves to new insights and inspiration. We're letting go of the root causes of pain. So grateful. So grateful. We are sharing the benefits with everyone. We let it be, and so it is. Amen. 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 (laughs) Yes. All right, so diving right in here. Uh, one of the, the promises of A Course in Miracles is spiritual liberation. That's right. And in chapter 2, 
section three, paragraph three. And and chapter three is called The Altar of God. And what uh, Jesus tells us is that our heart is the altar of God. There was a reference to this in the, the last episode, I think. Anyway, I was talking about it recently. So, in this chapter 2, section 3, paragraph 3, right in the middle, uh, the fifth line, Jesus says, Tolerance for pain may be high, but it is not without limit. Eventually, everyone begins to recognize, however dimly, that there must be a better way. There must be a better way. And as this recognition becomes more firmly established, it becomes a turning point. This ultimately reawakens spiritual vision, simultaneously weakening the investment in physical sight. So, we are, and it, it, this paragraph, paragraph three, begins with the acceptance of the atonement by everyone is only a matter of time. This may appear to contradict free will because of the inevitability of the final decision, but this is not so. You can temporize and you are capable of enormous procrastination. Don't we know it? But you cannot depart entirely from your creator who set the limits on your ability to miscreate. Isn't that good to know that there's a limit on how much and how far we can miscreate? An imprisoned will engenders a situation which in the extreme becomes altogether intolerable. So the will of God is the only will there is. This is one of the teachings of the Course, that there is an illusion of a separate will, but there's no actual separate will. And so an imprisoned will, when, when God's will as us is imprisoned in our identification with the body, with the ego, with the intellect, when God's will, our will, is imprisoned, uh, it, it engenders or makes a situation which in the extreme becomes altogether intolerable, becomes intolerable. It's not a bearable forever. Tolerance for pain may be high, but it is not without limit. Eventually, everyone begins to recognize, however dimly, that there must be a better way. And as this recognition becomes more firmly established, it becomes a turning point. So for me, I began to hold in my mind, there has to be a better way. It wasn't the exact language I was using at the time because I was studying uh, science of mind and I was in ministerial school at the time of this turning point in my experience. 
where I decided to go all in for God and go the other way and not be dallying anymore, but to really be all in. Best decision I ever made. Like almost everybody I know, when I was on the precipice of that decision, I resisted for a long time, many years. Because I thought I'd have to give up stuff. And that's what everybody thinks. You're going to have to give up stuff. And Jesus talks about that in the Course. You think that you're going to have to make sacrifices. It's just the opposite. Instead of making sacrifices, it's like taking out the trash. When you take out the trash, these are my words, when you take out the trash, the limiting thoughts and beliefs, the attachments to pain and suffering, when you let go of the misperceptions and the projections, when you let go of the root causes of suffering, which last week we were talking about the root causes of suffering, when we offer them up to spirit, there's no sacrifice. There is relief. That is one of the most common descriptors I use to describe my spiritual journey. It's one relief after another. So for me, I could say that I, eh, I kind of experienced it like I'd been stabbing myself, poking myself, and then picking at the scabs until they bleed again. That was a lot of what I was doing mentally and emotionally, and even to some degree physically with the self-medication, the drinking too much, you know, bouts of drinking too much, and then smoking too much, eating too much, staying up too late, not getting enough sleep, not getting great nutrients, all those things that I would um, dabble in uh, were things that I gave up. I didn't know I was giving them up. Honestly, I didn't because I didn't consciously give them up. I didn't try to, I didn't put a lot of effort. Once I went all in for spirit, I didn't put a lot of effort into behavior modification because one of the first things I began to recognize when I went all in for love, for peace, for harmony, for joy, for freedom, for prosperity and wholeness, one of the first things I began to recognize is I do not need to try to modify my behavior because all the self-destructive and inflictive behaviors that I was so attracted to in the past, my attraction for them dissolved as my spiritual practice strengthened. Now, I want to say here, as people would like to know, well, how did you do this? How did, how did this happen? How did it unfold for you? So Jesus is talking here in this uh, section of the text, Chapter 2, Section 3, Paragraph 3. He's talking about um, the imprisoned will engenders a situation which becomes altogether intolerable. So we can have a tolerance for pain may be high. And I would say many of us as spiritual students, we do have a 
tolerance for uh, high tolerance for pain because a lot of us are able to uh, compartmentalize things mentally. And many spiritual students who are involved with the Course in Miracles are very intellectual. I, I, I've shared it before. The first time somebody called me an intellectual, my friend Paul called me an intellectual. He said very kind of casually uh, over dinner one night, uh, well, you're an intellectual. And I was offended. I was like, what? You see me as an intellectual? Me? Uh, my parents you know, my father, the professor, my mother, the educator, they're intellectuals. You know, my father with his PhD, my mother uh, being an educator all those years, they're intellectuals. My, They're reading books all the time. They don't watch television very much. They, uh, I mean, they are definitely intellectuals, very smart book-reading people, with deep thoughts and uh, all of that. But me, I'm not an intellectual. I'm a rock and roller. And um, <laughs> I, I, I was definitely offended at the idea that I was an intellectual. But uh, I did what I sometimes do, uh, and that is I look up words in the dictionary. And so I looked up the word intellectual, um, and it's really just a smart person, a person who is given to study and um, it says here, given to study, reflection and speculation, engaged in activity requiring the creative use of the intellect. So I realized and there was another dictionary I used at the time. It's one of the definitions was a smart person, something like that. Maybe that was Oxford Dictionary. I, I, I had to laugh. I thought, oh, I guess I am an intellectual. I never would have thought that. But certainly my approach to life was very mental and not emotional. So uh, I could go years without crying. Uh, but I couldn't go 10 minutes without being annoyed, frustrated, or angry, irritated. But I could go years without crying, for sure. So I was up in my head, up in my um, cerebral uh, approach to everything. So when I decided to go all in, it was because of inspiration. I saw the light, we could say, I saw the wisdom of giving up the root causes of suffering. And I, I realized, and I'm so grateful for the realization, I realized that giving up the falling in the hole of self-medication with drinking and smoking and eating and watching television and staying up late and exercising too much and working too much and all the different ways, talking on the phone too much, all the different ways that I would self-medicate. Giving up the pain of self-medication wasn't a sacrifice. 
I was hurting myself on a regular basis. There's no sacrifice in giving that up. Um, knowing that I had friendships and relationships that were controlling, manipulative, uh, passive-aggressive, codependent, I was able to at last see, oh, there's no suffering in giving them up, giving them to spirit. The suffering is continuing with them as they are. And I had this heart's desire at that point to to be a minister and to be an excellent spiritual teacher and to speak and teach only truth, nothing else. And I am just remembering these things as I'm speaking them. I began to see how giving up arguments with people, giving up the feeling that there was something wrong with me, giving up the feeling that I was unlovable, giving up the feeling that I was bad, that I was wrong, that I was unredeemable. No sacrifice in giving these things up. But you see, my previous perspective, my previous point of view was through the lens of choosing to go all in for spirit would mean uh, I wouldn't enjoy life anymore. There'd be no ice cream. There'd be no um, cocktails, no whatever sensual pleasures I enjoyed. And since that was the only part of my life that was really enjoyable, except for being with my friends, uh, maybe watching movies and things, I felt like I was going to have to give up the things that were really enjoyable to me. But what's so crazy is uh, I have found, without a doubt, with absolute clarity, that Everything that I gave up, just as Jesus tells us in the Course, everything I gave up is something I do not miss. There is no sacrifice. And this is what Jesus talks about in the Manual for Teachers. It's going to seem like you're having to give up things that are valuable, but you will see that the things you value are not valuable. So for me, the freedom to self-medicate when I wanted to, when I felt like I needed to, I didn't want to give that up, but I didn't have to give it up in order to go all in. Instead, what I gave up was the root causes of the predilection towards self-medication, the impulses to self-medicate. That's what I gave up. So the self-medication fell away. I didn't have to do any behavior modification. For years, I'd been trying to control my behavior. Even when, as a spiritual student, I knew that behavior modification didn't work. Only spiritual transformation would work. I didn't believe myself capable of it. 
because I felt like something was inherently wrong and bad with me, that I was malformed, deformed in my consciousness, in my spirit, in my soul. And so the only hope I had of eliminating these various forms of self-sabotage was to self uh, do the behavior controls. And I was not good at it because I would just break with it all the time. I was definitely one of those people who would say, tomorrow I'm not going to drink any alcohol. And then tomorrow would come and I'd think, screw it, I'm going to have a drink. And I think tomorrow I'm going to go to the gym in the morning. And then I'd wake up hungover and think, I can't go to the gym. I feel terrible. So I, I had this tremendous sense of weakness and an incapacity. So what I didn't know, and no one told me, and this is why I am talking about it now, I'm guessing, is because no one told me, go all in for God. Just like put all your eggs in that basket. And then you'll see, ah, all of that will fall away. It will fall away. It will no longer be interesting or necessary. So I don't feel deprived because if I want to have a drink, I'll have a drink. It's just very rare that I'm interested in having a drink because I don't like the effects of alcohol because I already feel great. Why would I want to take it down a couple notches? I don't. But I feel free to do that. And I've actually become a little bit of a, it's it's overstating it, but let's just say I've become a little bit, just barely on the edge of becoming a connoisseur of non-alcoholic beer because I I like beer and I like the taste of beer. I like that that bitter, um, hoppy taste. And uh, I like lots of different kinds of, I like bitter greens and... um, And I tell my friends, it's why I like you. You're bitter, and I like that. (laughs) Um, But I I do like bitter flavors. And uh, so I I seek out looking for uh, a non-alcoholic beer that I can enjoy. So now I can have one non-alcoholic beer. It's not the same. No, it doesn't taste as good. Of course. However... It satisfies me. I'm very happy and there's no alcohol. Now, if only I could find um, a non-alcoholic hard cider that tastes like a hard cider, but I haven't been able to locate that. So because sparkling apple juice and and the non-alcoholic ciders that I have tried, I don't like. But anyway, I digress. So... Uh, things that I used to do, like smoking, I, I've talked about it many times. When I quit smoking the third time, the last time, I had no interest in ever smoking again. I just suddenly, I was lighting up a cigarette and I went, oh, I, I don't think I want cigarettes anymore. And that was it. Never looked back, never yearned for a cigarette. There was no withdrawal. It's all in the mind. It's all in the mind. I firmly believe that a person could go through heroin withdrawal. If they had the consciousness, they would not notice any kind of side effect. 
that was my experience with cigarettes. Um, I, I think with alcohol, I just kind of stopped drinking or drank less and less. I don't really remember now. Um, I still have a, a glass of wine here and there, or um, but it it uh, it's just no big deal. It's it's I I don't ever go. Oh no, I drank too much. I couldn't help myself. Blah blah. No, there's none of that anymore. And the same with food. I have this app that I got for my phone where, um, or my Apple Watch where it um tracks all kinds of things and one of the things it has is it has these little quizzes or surveys evaluatory um little quizzes that you do and and so uh it was asking me these questions like how often do you uh overeat to the point of discomfort you know and the answers are uh never uh once a month, a couple times a month, a couple times a week, things like that. And I'm thinking, yeah, when do the, what? Like, eh, not even once a month. But I used to do that all the time. Stuff myself. Why? Because the real purpose in eating was to get to the point of being stupefied, right? To being in a place of dulling my senses so I couldn't really feel what I feel. Um, Do I feel deprived? No. If I want to have a steak, I have a steak. Most of the time I eat um, a vegan diet these days, but I can't live without pesto, and I'm not going to. Not that I'm an addict, or anything like that. I just love pesto. So pesto has cheese in it, and I'm going to have that cheese. And when I like to make my veggie pastas, I make a veggie pasta sauce that I really love with kale and carrots and onions and stuff. And um, I like to put Romano cheese on that. So, but, so I'm not making rules. I can't have that. It's not spiritual. I, I'm not a big cookie person, but Sometimes there are cookies, and I might have four of them if I feel like it. Other times I can buy cookies. I can have two of them and totally forget I have them, and I never think of it. It just I have a uh, freezer with lots of different kinds of ice cream and things that I bought a couple of months ago. I had lots of company. I really bought it for them. I'm not eating it. Life is easy this way for me now. And it's a shock and a surprise that there's no sacrifice involved. Oh my gosh, it's already time for me to take a break. You're listening to A Course in Miracles. My name's Jennifer Hadley, and I'll be right back. Don't go away. Thank you for tuning in for A Course in Miracles, Living the Love, Walking the Talk. Welcome back. Thank you for listening. So I I share about these shifts in my life 
frequently because they are so miraculous to me. I made room in my awareness for miracles. Miracles being the thoughts I think with God, the truth. I made way in my awareness for the truth. So going back to uh, what I was sharing in the first part of today's episode, going back there to uh, chapter 2, section 3, paragraph 3. The acceptance of the atonement by everyone is only a matter of time. Now, what is the atonement? It's a frequently asked question. It's the atonement is the full acceptance that there has been, nor was there, will there ever be a separation from God. There's just God and nothing else. There's just pure presence and nothing else. There, it's not possible for there to be an other. So accepting that, which means also accepting the oneness and unity of ourselves with Jesus, with our brothers and sisters, our mothers and fathers, and everyone that we think we dislike or perceive as an enemy or a problem, we're one with it all because there's just the one. So he's saying here to us that it's only a matter of time, time, of course, not being real, but we're experiencing time. We're experiencing the belief in separation. It's like a kind of theme park, an amusement park of ego and separation. And then he says here, sentence five, I'm just going to say it again, tolerance for pain may be high, but it's not without limit. Eventually, everyone begins to recognize that there must be a better way. As this recognition becomes more firmly established, it becomes a turning point. So I began to see there was a better way. And at first, it was very dim, like he's talking about in this section. It was very dim, but it was enough light in my experience of the darkness in my mind. It was enough light that I began moving in that direction. I had a a sort of an epiphany in the 80s where I was literally in a tent uh, on a trail from Cusco to Machu Picchu with a couple of friends. We were hiking in Peru, and um, it was dawn. Uh, I was listening to roosters outside. I was reading at the time Shakti Gawain's book, Living in the Light, And this thought came into my awareness, Jennifer, you've been facing the darkness. You've been moving in that direction towards the darkness, which was true, I think, in many ways. And 
this thought came, it's time to turn and face in the direction of the light and move in that direction. So that's what I mentally started to do was to look for the more loving thoughts. And as I've said so frequently, I feel like I was a slow learner, but I began to get it. And the truth began to dawn in my awareness. And ultimately, I got to the point where I really no longer had a desire to be, from a personality standpoint, to have my personality in charge of my life. I didn't want that anymore. I didn't want my personality making decisions. I didn't want my personality in charge. And that, for me, was going the other way. Spirit in charge. And I was willing to leap off that cliff. And it felt like that at the time, but it felt like I wouldn't be leaping to my death. I would be leaping to my salvation. And in fact, that was true. And how I came to that awareness was through the active practice of looking through for the more loving choice all day, every day, to the best of my ability. And also what contributed was the, the realization that my opinions, my beliefs, and my judgments were not helpful to me. They were hurting me. And I needed to lay them down, to lay them down on the altar, what I call the altar fire of God's infinite love. And so I just began doing that. And then I began uh, practices like recording my daily prayer. So early on in 2007, I really made a commitment to A Course of Miracles, and I began recording a daily prayer. So I've been doing that ever since then, almost every day since 2007, I think the last time I missed a day was maybe eight years ago or something. Um, I was really sick with food poisoning kind of a thing. I was in Thailand. It was my birthday even. It was right around there. There was a maybe, and the internet went down. Like it was a confluence of things and there was maybe a delay, but I probably did record a prayer even so. It just got to, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, so what I am interested in now is working with people who, like me, felt afraid of going all in, felt terrified at the idea of placing my faith and trust in God what? Uh, people who, like me, felt like these self-destructive things that I do, this is all I have. I can't give it up. I can't give up the self-medication and things like that because it's all I have. And um, 
people who feel in many ways alone or isolated, and and also people who, like me, are just looking for God, just looking for God, seeking but not fully finding. And people like me who have really allowed themselves to be preoccupied and distracted with reading books and listening to things without a real practical application. So that's what I I love now is working with these folks. And what I find is the folks who are in these kinds of quagmires that I was in uh, and the quicksand feeling that it sometimes is, people who are in that kind of mess, feeling despondent, helpless, hopeless, depressed, that as they do the practices that we work with in, in truly living A Course of Miracles, all that falls away. And what's wonderful is they have a unique and very valuable perspective that they can now share with others. So it's like it's the Power of Love Ministry is now a community of people who are uh, reaching up for assistance and who to to the person who's a little bit ahead of them, and they're reaching back to the person who seems to be a little bit behind them, right? It's it's all um, relative, but and this is what I love. It's it is a path for people who like me aspire, as I used to, because back in the eighties I aspired to being a spiritual student. I aspired to being a spiritual teacher and a leader. I aspired to these things. I just felt completely unworthy of it. Like, so laughable to think of someone like me who's so judgmental and angry and hostile and defensive (laughs) and full of BS could ever be a spiritual teacher. But I felt that calling. I felt it, and I, I, it was so frustrating to me that I felt so incapable, so far away, and like I was looking under every rock trying to find the secret formula, the key, and not being able to find it. So frustrating. And so then I would collapse into despair, and I would engage in self sabotaging behaviors and then I would feel completely incompetent and totally unworthy of my calling and that was a cycle I repeated for decades decades so to break that was it's everything to me that I got to break that and that's why it's so important to me to share with others how to do exactly this so I I often hear from people who say, 
Jennifer, thank you so much for everything that you're doing for us, particularly from people who are in Masterful Living and in the spiritual counseling training program and things like that. And I, I say, well, you're very welcome. I'm happy to. And just remember, all of these wonderful components of our programs in the ministry I did not think them up. I did not make them up. This is inspiration that was given to me. And so you're part of that flow of inspiration. You too have ideas. And and of course they do. And so this is how we're evolving this ministry. So I love that someone comes in and they're they're in a quagmire. Uh, they're stuck in the muck and the mire, and so they think, but they have found a light within themselves, and because like attracts like, they come into the ministry, drawn by the light, and as they do the practices, the limiting thoughts and beliefs have to fall away. The behaviors that reinforce the limiting thoughts and beliefs have to fall away. They have to. And so then the way Spirit has designed this ministry, people are invited. I invite them and they can invite themselves to step up, to be in leadership, to be small group leaders. We have mastery circles and prayer partners and all these different aspects of the programs where they can step up and engage and become a leader. We train facilitators. We train counselors. We train teachers, train prayer practitioners. So people can put themselves gently, foot, you know, step by step at their own pace into leadership. And so people who never could see themselves as leaders are now leaders of leaders. <laughs> Not kidding. And so for me, it's wonderful to be part of a ministry where people can see, oh, this is what I'm doing after retirement, or this is my second career. And this is my calling. So whether it's someone who's 25 years old, because I've trained people who are 25 years, brought them from feeling helpless and hopeless. I, 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 I walked with them. I didn't do it for them. I, I don't have that kind of capacity. No one does. But I walked with them. I held their hand and I held them when they cried and felt they couldn't go any further. And, and now they're doing the same for other people. And to me, life does not get any better than that. It does not. Not for this girl, for sure. So we're getting ready to open Masterful Living Registration for next year. And um, we've got our early bird wait list up at jenniferhadley.com. And uh, you, if you get on the early bird wait list, then you'll get notified as soon as registration opens and you'll be able to get all the bonuses. Uh, we have the early bird bonuses that are live classes with me this year that are totally free if you um, sign up for Masterful Living uh, 
right at the the beginning. So something to think about. If you have a hankering, if you have a deep desire for this um, work of spiritual growth and development, and if you'd like to be able to be of service, if you feel like, I have a calling to be a spiritual counselor or teacher or leader or helper in some way, but I just feel completely like I don't know how to do that. I don't know if I'm capable. It, it, as Michael Beckwith used to say to us in ministerial school at Agape, he'd say, God does not call those who are already qualified God qualifies those who answer the call, and all are called. And Jesus essentially says the same thing in A Course in Miracles. So, in our journey, making way for miracles means recognizing fundamental truths. Fundamental truths. And this is what I was talking about in um, last week's episode, Trading Pain for Happiness, that we have to be willing to recognize a few basic things that are discussed in Lesson 190. And I I really got such a strong feeling to come back to this for this episode. So pain is a wrong perspective. When pain's experienced in any form, it's proof of self-deception. So for me, the self-deception was that um, if I gave up the self-medication, if I gave up my options to overeat and drink too much and smoke too much and watch television too much, talk on the phone too much, exercise too much, work too much. If I gave up all those things, I would have nothing but pain. That's what I believed, right? So I settled for the pain of feeling like a failure every day, feeling like a spiritual fake every day. Now, he he says here again in Lesson 190, there's no form pain takes that will not disappear if seen aright. So that pain of feeling unworthy, that pain that I had of feeling uh, bad and wrong, like I was just a bad bitch, um, that feeling that I had that was a belief, uh, a very concrete belief, when I was willing to see, and my, my counseling clients helped me to see this, that everyone is worthy, that everyone is in truth innocent and perfect. When I was willing to see that in my clients, which was just much easier to see than in myself, then it disappeared. The pain of my self-judgment disappeared because the belief in it disappeared. It was cured by my willingness to see the Christ in my counseling clients, and in everyone else. All it took was my willingness, but I had to have more than just a little smidge of willingness to have the real healing. So I was on the road of healing with my little smidge of willingness. 
But I, it amplified. It became rolling downhill. So I had to, in that experience of giving up the pain and trading it for happiness and making way for miracles, I had to clear out the trash and the clutter. We're back to the beginning of where I started here. We have to be willing to let go of the garbage to make room for the miracles. So the garbage is the false beliefs, the perceptions, the projections that we have clung to. We have to be willing to take out that trash. And here's the thing. We don't have to haul. I, I, <laughs> I have a, a ways to carry my trash. It's not a really long way. But there is a way to, you know, it takes some effort to carry the trash a little bit. And, um, but I don't have to take it all the way down to the corner or even the curb. I, it, it, I'm talking spiritually now. I just have to put it on the doorstep and say, hey, God, I don't need this anymore. Will you please take it away? I've played with it. I've journeyed with it. I've danced with it. I've rolled around in the mud with it. I have made myself sick with it. And you know what? I feel complete. I feel done with it now. Would you please take it out of my mind so I never dance with it again? I never roll in it or step in it again. We have to have the willingness to see that these thoughts and beliefs are of no value. We don't have to analyze why we think they're of value. We don't. We don't. Why? Because we are not ego intellects. We are spiritual beings who are already enlightened. And if we are willing to see that and to recognize that, not just in ourselves, but also in our brothers and sisters, that everyone is already an enlightened being. And we are just dabbling in this idea that we are not and that somehow we have to become enlightened. We are giving these ideas up. So jumping down lesson 190 down to paragraph five, it is your thoughts alone that cause you pain. Nothing external to your mind can hurt or injure you in any way. There is no cause beyond yourself that you can reach down that can reach down and bring oppression. So let's just give up all these crazy ideas that somehow we are a victim of the world or that we are a victim of anything, including a botched surgery. It is your thoughts alone that cause you pain. Nothing external to your mind can hurt or injure you in any way. No one but yourself affects you. There is nothing in the world that has the power to make you ill or sad or weak or frail. Just that one sentence right there, or take this one paragraph five, if you feel ill, sad, weak, or frail, if you feel angry and hurt and despairing, Take this to heart. Be willing to see that this is true. Now, 
in order to be willing to see that this is true, you're going to probably have to admit to yourself, which I had to admit to myself is, I did it to myself. I did it to myself. And then I remembered to laugh. Oh my God. (laughs) All this time I thought that it was them that did it to me. I did it to myself. And then I remembered to laugh. I remembered to laugh because I stopped judging that what I did to myself was wrong or bad or a mistake. It was just a journey. If you go camping in the wilderness and it's cold and you forgot to bring the matches and now you spend the whole day and night shivering in the cold and you're miserable and you're saying what a stupid freak I am and you just you're in pain it's so cold and you're shivering and you're just you're thinking I'm going to get the flu and I'm going to be die of influenza I'm going to get pneumonia right? And then on day five of this nightmare, you suddenly realize, I put the matches in those wrapped in the the bag with the flip-flops, which I don't need because it's so cold and I had the matches all along. We got to remember to laugh. We did it to ourselves. But there's Oh, everything is helpful. That's what is so powerful about that development of trust section in the Manual for Teachers. Everything is helpful. It takes great learning to recognize that everything is helpful. Paragraph 18 in in Lesson 135. Everything's been gently planned by one whose only purpose is your good. Everything works together for good. These are the messages of the Course. If you're not willing to believe them, you will suffer because you are intent on believing your own thoughts. So the world may seem to cause us pain, but there's no cause in the world. The world is an effect, and effects cannot make effects. It's an illusion. So the cause of the illusion is in our mind. Pain is a wrong perspective. It's the perspective of feeling like a failure. Pain is the perspective of thinking we're a body. Pain is the perspective of thinking we're separate, that we're not good enough, that there's something wrong. Nothing in the world causes pain. Every cause of pain is in the mind. So if we can't remember to laugh then the world is a horrible, horrible place and there's no escape from it until we finally say, you know what? I have had enough. Woo! Hey, listen, I've got so many wonderful things coming up now, right now, and I'm inviting you to take advantage of them. Go to jenniferhadley.com. I've got free workshops and, and all kinds of stuff. Plus, Masterful Living is coming. Check it out. I'm going to speak a word of prayer here right now. And I'm inviting you to place your hand on your heart as I am doing. And we are grateful and thankful to open ourselves to the infinite intelligence, to pure light and love 
that is our true nature and our true identity. We are grateful to share the benefits with all beings. We're letting the past go. We're choosing to remember the truth. We let the healing be, and so it is. Amen. 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 I love you. I thank God for you. God bless you.